You know, the best thing you might hear all morning is our God is a God who saves. I'm still preaching my sermon, by the way, but uh, you've already heard some good news this morning. Hey, if you're a visitor of ours, we are so honored to have you with us. If you are here every week, we are so glad that you showed up again today to worship with us today at Bay Area. I heard a story about a little five-year-old girl who was being punished by her family and they were making her eat her meal by herself at a little table in the dining room. And the family wasn't really paying a lot of attention to the little girl until she had a prayer for herself. She bowed her head and said, I thank you, Lord, for preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) Now, sometimes I think even as adults... We get a little bit confused about who the real enemy is, right? We are in this sermon series I'm calling Doing Life Together, and we are talking about the blessings that we have and getting wrapped up in each other's life and doing this thing called community together. You remember the Three Musketeers had the motto, All for One and One for All? Maybe the Christian's motto ought to be, All for One, because we're all in one. We're all in Christ. All united with Christ. And here's the text that we began this thing with. It's out of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those four verses are filled with one another strategies, with community blueprints, Holy Holy Spirit-inspired methods of doing life together. And this morning I want to talk about tenderness and compassion. And I want to talk about Humility. And I want to talk about considering others better than yourself. But mostly this morning, I want to talk about forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, which is a great one another passage as well. Be kind and compassionate to one another. There's that word compassionate again. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ... God forgave you. You know, I landed on that verse and I was kind of going around, what do I really want to focus on this morning? Kindness and compassion? Can't go wrong there. Do I want to focus on forgiving others? Well, that would be time well spent. Do I want to focus on how we've been forgiven in Christ? That's a good subject. And it occurred to me that there's a reason why the Apostle Paul put those three thoughts in one sentence. That when you talk about kindness and compassion and forgiving and thanksgiving, it's really hard to separate those concepts. So this morning, I'm not going to try. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right up front, before we even get started this morning, this sermon's for you. Okay? I know sometimes there's a temptation to sit and think, wow, I wish you-know-who was here today. Because they really need to hear this. Well, guess what? You know who is here today. You know who is you. In fact, do this for me. Turn to the person beside you and say, this sermon is for me. 
Now say, no, this sermon's for you. Okay, this sermon is for you, and this sermon is for me. I'm telling you, we all need to hear what Paul has to say in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And what Paul is saying, we talk about this thing, doing life together. We have to take responsibility for the way we respond to wounds. We talked a little bit about that last week. Paul puts the onus on me. I've got to be kind and compassionate. I have to be forgiving. I have to forgive you. You might say, well, Paul doesn't know what that person did to me. Guess what? Paul doesn't care what someone did to you. Because Paul knows what Jesus did for you. Paul knows that in Christ, God was gracious to you. God was kind and compassionate to you. God was forgiving to you. And by the way, Paul has a little bit of credibility in this matter. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what it is to be wounded. He knows about injustice. You remember where Paul wrote this letter from? Book of Ephesians, letter of Ephesians? He was in prison. And nothing about his imprisonment was fair. Nothing about his imprisonment was just. And just like Paul, we might not be responsible for our wounds, but we are responsible about how we respond and how we react to those wounds. When we talk about doing life together, you will undoubtedly be wounded by someone. And when we talk about doing life together, you will undoubtedly wound someone else. Jesus never said, follow me and nobody gets hurt. In fact, He sort of promised that there would be pain and wounds. He even told us how to pray about it. Matthew chapter 6, this will sound familiar. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. You might have memorized that as forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus says in this life you will have debtors. You will have people who sin against you. What are you going to do about it? Heard about a weary traveler who was coming home from a business trip and he had his luggage in his hand. He's slowly walking through the um, airport parking garage looking for his car. A black sedan screeched to a halt beside him. The mirror uh, window lowered down and a guy with dark glasses says, Get in. I'm taking you to your car. And the traveler's like, uh, No, really, that's okay. He jumps out, opens the back door and said, No, get in. I am taking you to your car. Now this guy's kind of freaking out. He's looking around for some security or someone to help. Because he starts backing away. The driver's face softens. He says, please, get in. I've been driving around for an hour looking for a parking place, and I want your parking place. <laughs> you know, we've all seen people who want something from us, right? And if we're honest, we all know of times when we have wanted something from someone else as well. Listen, today, somebody owes you something. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. 
But I know that today someone owes you something. Maybe someone owes you an explanation today. Maybe someone owes you an apology today. Maybe you're owed a chance or a second chance. Maybe you're owed some respect or some appreciation. Maybe someone owes you the truth. Maybe someone owes you some grace today. And what Jesus is saying to all of us who are living in this community is those who have sinned against us, those who have hurt us, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be fair. I want you to be forgiving. Now, that doesn't sit well with us. Just be honest. Because when someone hurts me, when someone wounds me, I want justice. Now, if I hurt you, I want grace, right? But if you hurt me, I want justice. Trust me on this. You don't want God to be fair with you. You want God to be gracious with you. And really, forgiveness is something that ultimately comes down to a decision. Peter wanted a little bit of clarification on this one day. So he asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Seven times? Because that's what I've heard. And seven times seems like a lot to me. That seems very generous. Certainly seven times of forgiving someone's enough, isn't it, Jesus? And Jesus thought for a minute and he said, let me tell you a story. Matthew chapter 18. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him, forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him what had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every cent. And then Jesus adds, That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. There's a lot of things we could focus on in that story, but let me just point out a few that I think are worth mentioning. And first, I want to talk about the king. What's the deal with the king? The king is really hard to figure out in this story. Why in the world would a king loan a servant? My translation I just quoted from there said millions of dollars. Why would any king do that? Why would any king loan a servant so much money that he knew he would never be repaid? What kind of king would do that? And of course the answer is only a very gracious king. Jesus wants us to know this king is incredibly giving. But then he calls in the debt. He asks for repayment. 
Well, of course he does. It's his money, right? That was the deal. He's the one who loaned it. It was his money and the one that it was loaned to. He understood that it would have to be paid back. That's fair. The servant can't repay. And so he falls on his knees and he begs the master. Interesting, not to forgive the debt. He never imagined that that could happen. What he begged for was, give me a little more time. Just a little more time and I'll pay it back. Which, of course, was an empty promise. He was never going to be able to pay back that tremendous debt. And so the servant is ordered by the king. said, I want you to sell the servant, his wife, his children, and all of his possessions to pay back the loan. Say, wow, that's that's harsh. But it's fair, right? The king's being fair. He's a just king. But then the king has pity on him. The man begs, give me more time. And the king has pity on him. And in fact, he doesn't do what the man asked for. He doesn't give him more time. Instead, he does something that is really unimaginable. He completely forgave the entire debt. Wiped it clean. Why? Why would anyone wipe clean a debt of millions of dollars? Well, Jesus wants us to know this was a really gracious king. This is an incredibly forgiving king. But then the king finds out that the same man who he had just forgiven all that debt to goes out and finds someone else who owed that guy just a little bit of money and he demands instant payment. The man couldn't pay, so he had him thrown in prison. What does the king do? He reacts. And Jesus says he reacts in anger. He lashes out at the servant. He basically tells this guy, how dare you? How dare you, after I gave you that tremendous gift of forgiveness, after I cleared that tremendous debt, after I showed you so much mercy, you go out and you can't find it in your heart to extend just a sliver of that same kind of mercy to someone else. How dare you? And of course, he has him thrown into prison until the entire debt is paid, which again would be never. It's a life sentence for this man. And again, the king is being just. He is giving this man exactly what he deserved, exactly what he had coming. He was being fair. So what's the deal with the king? Is he a forgiving king or is he a fair king? Is he a merciful king or is he a just king? Is he reacting with unimaginable kindness and compassion or is he reacting with righteous indignation? And of course, the answer is yes. All of those things. He is completely gracious. And he is completely just. And again, that sort of bothers us. Because we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that. Now, we know in this story that the king represents God. Jesus says the king represents God. God is completely gracious. And God is completely just. And so is Jesus. Now think about this. When Jesus was on the earth teaching, the, the lessons that he taught, the examples that he left, the things that he did, there was always a little bit of tension to Jesus' teaching. And there was a tension that drove people crazy at the time. When you read through the Gospels, there are times when Jesus is incredibly forgiving. 
And other times he seems to hold people accountable. There are times that he seems kind of harsh. Other times he's unbelievably kind. There are times when he points out specific sin. Other times it's almost as if he looks the other way. There was a tension to his teaching. It kind of bothered people, but it never bothered Jesus. By the way, the tension still exists. You know, from the outside looking in, we, we still deal with the tension. I'm sure you've had people talk to you, I have, about what's the deal with you Christians? I mean, I hear you talking one day and you're talking about love and joy and, and peace and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And then the next time you're talking about accountability and judgment and hell and uh, absolute truth and sin. I mean, what's the deal with you guys? There's a tension there. And some of us were sort of raised leaning toward the grace side of that tension and, and some were maybe raised leaning toward the truth side of the tension. Again, can I just be honest with you this morning? When I think about your sin, it's really easy to come down on the truth side. When I think about your sin, I quote verses like Matthew 12, 36, where Jesus says, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word you spoke is going to come into play on the day of judgment. That's pretty harsh. When I'm talking about your sin, I don't mind verses like that. When I'm talking about my sin, I don't like adverse. I like verses like Ephesians 2, 8. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no man should boast. For you, truth. For me, grace. And yet somehow we know it's both. If we go one way too far or the other way too far, we're going to leave something out. Something really important is going to be left out. Jesus, in response to Peter's question about how many times do I have to forgive someone, tells this story. One of the men listening to Jesus tell the story was the Apostle John. John, years later, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write about his time with Jesus. And John would begin his gospel with uh, this, this grand image of Jesus as the Word. And he gives one of the best explanations and one of the best... Um, he condenses this tension in a way that's really simplistic, I think, and really effective. He says in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and Only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, we know what grace is, and we know what truth is. Grace says you're forgiven. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're accepted. Truth says, no, you're broken. Grace says it's going to be okay. Truth says you've got a lot of work to do. 
Grace says, I will love you no matter what. Truth says, you can't do that. There is a tension that exists there. And maybe you grew up in a home where one parent was sort of the grace parent and the other parent was sort of the truth parent. When you got in trouble, which parent did you hope got involved with you? You were really hoping for the grace parent to get involved, right? You were hoping for the parent who said, hey, it's going to be okay, not that big of a deal. Come here, give me a hug, I love you. But when your brother or sister got in trouble, weren't you sort of hoping that the truth parent got involved? Was on some level you're kind of hoping that that parent was the one who was going to deal with your brother or your sister? But if you grew up in a great home, you got a heavy dose of both truth and grace. The Apostle John said, we've seen His glory. John said, I saw Him. I experienced Him. I know things that you don't know about Jesus. I have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John doesn't say that Jesus was some grace and some truth. He didn't say He's a little bit of grace, a little bit of truth. He didn't say He's a really nice mix of grace and truth. He didn't say Jesus is like the perfect balance of grace and truth. He said he, He was full of grace and full of truth. He was completely grace and He was completely truth. Now, we want it one way or the other. We want to push Jesus kind of one way or the other. Again, I like the verses that talk about truth when I'm talking about what you need to do. I like the verses that talk about grace when I'm talking about my own shortcomings. John says, I watched them. I saw them. I spent time with them. And the best way I can describe him to you is he was the full measure of grace. And he was the full measure of truth. He'll say it again two verses later, by the way. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, like he says, that the law was given, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And again, Jesus was not the perfect balance of grace and truth. He was the full measure of grace, the full measure of truth. And John says, so is the Father. So, in the parable of the unmerciful servant, how do you reconcile the king's actions? Is he grace or is he truth? Is he forgiving or is he just? Well, he's all grace. And he's all truth. He's all forgiving. He is all just. There's a tension there. And it drives people crazy still. But again, to place yourself in one of those two camps exclusively, you really miss something important. Just like the servant in the parable, you and I have run up this tremendous debt that we'll never repay. And just like the servant in the parable, we serve a master who is all grace. And we serve a master who is all truth. And I'll admit, it's a little bit tough to understand. And obviously... It's a little difficult to explain, but what a God we serve. Here's a second observation from the parable. Word of unforgiveness always gets back to the Master. 
This master forgave this tremendous debt. This debt that this fellow wouldn't be able to repay in a hundred lifetimes. Stunning turn of events. He forgives this unpayable debt. And this man who had been forgiven of so much was unwilling to forgive even the smallest debt to someone else. This guy who was buried in grace refused to extend even a sliver of grace to someone else. And word got back to the master. When you fail to forgive, when you fail to extend just a little bit of grace, when you've been buried in grace, trust me, the master's going to find out. And you can trust me in this as well. He won't be pleased. You know, we talked about the fact that we have a responsibility to love as Jesus loved. I think we also have a responsibility to forgive as Jesus forgave. Forgiving us of any debt that we've incurred, that's the grace side of God. Expecting us to forgive others, that's the truth side of God. The Master is paying attention to how we forgive. Here's another observation. The, man, uh, the Master threw the man into prison for the rest of his life. He was angry, but he wasn't angry because of the tremendous debt. What angered him was the absence of mercy in that servant. What angered him wasn't the debt that was owed to him. It was the attitude of the one who'd already been forgiven. It was the lack of kindness and compassion. The lack of grace and mercy. The lack of forgiveness. This unmerciful servant, he goes to collect this small debt and he's convinced, I have the right here. It is my right to demand this repayment. The law is on my side. Justice is on my side. He'd just forgotten of the tremendous debt that he'd been forgiven. And he'd forgotten he was still in debt to the Master. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in being right that we kind of lose track of loving right. And we've talked for the last two weeks, we can't be right unless we love right. We can't be like Jesus unless we love like Jesus. Which really becomes a matter of eternal life and death when you think about what Jesus says uh, is the bottom line to this parable. Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he paid every penny. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. Doing life together means we can't forget to forgive. Doing life together means we've got to focus on what Jesus did for us, not what someone else did to us. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong on this. This doesn't mean you, you act like nothing ever happened. And it doesn't mean you become a doormat. And it doesn't mean you stay in an abusive relationship. Absolutely not. It does mean that we maybe need to stop trying to collect the debt that we think we're owed. And what you find is when you forgive others, the one who's really blessed, the one who is truly liberated, is you. Corey Tinboom said that forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. You know, some of you need that today.
I'm sure that there are some in here that just need to let go of past hurts. You need to start over. But you can't start over until you stand under the cross. Until you realize the tremendous debt that has been wiped clean on our behalf. The unbelievable forgiveness that's been granted to us by the one who came full of grace and truth. You don't want to burn the very bridge that you've got to cross. I want to close this morning by doing something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eye. And I want you to get a mental image of at least one person in your life that you have hard feelings towards. And maybe legitimately so. That's not the point. I want you to think of one person that that you have a difficult time dealing with. One person who owes you something. You have their face, your, their face in your mind. And I want you to spend a couple quiet moments with the Lord and listen while He prompts you about what to do next. Father, give us the grace and the courage to actually live the gospel, not just talk about it. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church family, if we can help you in any way today, there will be some people here at the front of the auditorium, and you can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.